in those moments, like certain occasions, I had a gun on my head. Um, I had a knife on my neck. In those occasions, you do kind of, oh, yeah, this is probably my last breath. Welcome everybody, this is Simon Gilbert with Inspired. I hope you're on good form. And this week we've got a very interesting guest. Her name is Hatun Tash. Welcome Hatun. Peace of Christ be with you brother, how are you? Great, yes. So Hatun is uh, the founder of DCCI Ministries. We'll get into that. She recently um, made pretty big news because she was stabbed at Speaker's Corner. So I thought it'd be great for us to hear from her and, and some of her journey. So Hatton, um, I know a lot of it is quite sensitive, so um, share as much as you can of your background. I know you want to be guarded to protect uh, your, your loved ones and identity. So, you know, give us as much context as you feel you can. Go for it. So currently I am in UK. Uh, I've been here for a long time now. I first met with Christians in a church by accident and that was the way I kind of get to hear a little bit more and more about Christian faith. I think it was approximately a year after I met Christians, I figured out um, it was kind of by accident that they believe Jesus Christ died on the cross by crucifixion. That was shocking for me because I grew up uh, in a Muslim household and according to Islam, Jesus didn't die on the cross, let alone mm-hmm. his resurrection. The thing I heard from uh, this Christian brother where he was expressing the reason we celebrate Easter because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I was like, oh, everyone knows Jesus didn't die. Hmm. Uh, but a point brother was making is like regarding his resurrection. No, his tomb is empty, all those kind of things. I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't die. Therefore, I am not that much bothered about his resurrection. Um, he stated that actually Bible says Jesus died on the cross. I went back and I just m- wanted to make sure that I got it correct, that according to Islam, Jesus didn't die. Yes, I was correct according to Quran, Jesus didn't die. And I got a little bit confused because while uh, Islam teaches Jesus didn't die, and then you've got Christians who are based in UK with like, lots of technology and good education. They believe Jesus died. From that, I started studying a little bit, trying to figure out historically which was correct. I wasn't in that stage bothered regarding, oh, did he die? Um, Why did he die? My main focus was historically, did he die? Mm -hmm. And it didn't took that long. Um, uh, I figured out that historically, yes, Jesus died on the cross and of course, then you have to think the implications of that. If he died on the cross, is that means did Quran got it wrong? Quran supposed to be the eternal word of Allah. If Quran get the historical event wrong, what else he got it? It got it wrong. And then I, from that, I start looking at more deeper on Islam. And as I was hanging around with Christians, I start looking into Christian faith and I become more convinced and convinced that Christianity was historically correct and Islam was false. Um, I think approximately a year after that, thanks God, by his grace, he convicted from me from my sins. And as he gave his life for me, all I had to do is open my hands and receive him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that would be kind of my background. 
And I know, you know, I'm a linguist, so when I hear people's accents, I'm always trying to place people. Um, so I'm you, Turkish. You're Turkish, okay. Yes. And, and and did you come to know Jesus in Turkey, or that was that was over here? Ah, uh, that was in England. Right. Uh, so, and you've been here what ten years or so? Um, yeah, nearly ten years now. Right. So you made that decision. Was that were you, were you seeking on your own, or did your loved ones know about it? Did your family was it a shock to them? Um. After I got baptized, I did tell my family on the phone because my family is based in Turkey. I did tell them I become a Christian and in Islam, it is not well taken news. So I had to deal with the consequences of that. But in that stage, yes, I was um, looking into by myself. I, I would ask some questions to Christians regarding uh, to make sense of the things. Um, but overall, I would say, yeah, I was just um, trying to figure things out by myself. Had you been in a very strict uh, Islamic upbringing? I mean, there's, there's there's lots of very secular people, aren't there, and uh, who are under the banner of Islam, and there's also people who are absolutely passionate. Where would you have fit on that continuum as a family? Um, I would coming from practicing uh, Muslim family. So uh, my uh, in Turkey, half of country is like practicing, rest half is like not practicing. Yeah. So I would be the part which is practicing. Mm -hmm. So what was the reaction of your family? Um, it is still working process. Um, it is very common um, in Islam. So there's a death penalty for apostasy in Islam, mm -hmm. as well as if that is not practiced, there is a full rejection from family and community. But God is gracious, so um, he will put things right um, as the time goes on. Amen. May that be the case. Uh, we in Burundi, a very different context, we support several groups that reach out to, to Muslims. And it's obviously a very different context because uh, Islam is a minority religion out there. But even then, um, yeah, that we've had some real uh, difficulties. One of our guys was, was murdered in front of his wife and kids. So th there's a very real cost, isn't there, in becoming what they would say is being an apostate of Islam. Yeah, um, it's like they in somehow they they feel you are rejecting them. Mm -hmm. um, it's like they don't think about the most uh, religion, but like first you are rejecting them. After that, it is the ideology. And even in UK, um, it is only five, six percent of UK is uh, Muslim. Yet when someone becomes a Christian, whole of their family kicks them out, cuts off from all the financial support and anything. And yeah, that's that's very common. In Muslim countries, it's a little bit more dangerous, but even similar things happens in Britain. So when you got baptized and you announced it, I mean, I don't know, were you already working here? Did you have a source of income? Um, I was working, yeah. So you were able to carry on? It wasn't in that sense it didn't uh, yeah they, they cut all the financial support all the connections um in that way but uh, one of the thing lord has been gracious to me in a sense had me to move forward was i was in uk and my family is in turkey so that made things much easier for me if i was in turkey things would be a little bit different but um, there are a couple of practical things but i needed to work through them and um get on and i I lived in a um, people who, who who are not Christians, but they were like so good to me. Like got their full support all the time and whenever I needed, as well as um, the church I was involved, uh, brothers and sisters in the church. And 
they were very supportive and came alongside of me. Even like I remember I had a brother who had me to go and meet with uh, MP and um, get some advice from MP. My church was uh, very much involved on helping me to go through that process. So Yeah. Um, so Jesus, you know, I mean, he, he talks about the cost, doesn't he? In Luke 9, 23, for example, if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves, take up the cross daily and follow me. For most followers of Jesus in in Britain, that cost, or the Western world in general, that cost is negligible. Or, I mean, I'm not saying there's, there's, there's no price to pay, but a lot of people counting it is a very different proposition to what you've been through, isn't it? Um, even though scripture says, like, we are pre-warned what will be the consequences of following him, but I didn't know those things. <laughs> um, I, I didn't know. I didn't have that much knowledge on scripture. I was just trying to figure out my ways. Um, in Britain, things are very different. I do meet with um, individuals in um, North Africa or in Middle East. They are praying for persecution of Christians in Britain so that Christians will turn to their first love. But yes, um, our understanding of taking your cross in Britain is very much different. But also we have a God who, who allows people to carry the burden only they can hold. So therefore, I think that shows our uniqueness of and beauty of our God, who he knows like what people can handle and what people cannot handle. And he's mm. all, um, all the way with us in a way. Yeah. So you had this dramatic, radical encounter with Jesus, Jesus not as prophet, but as son of God, as God incarnate. And that is the complete game changer, isn't it? So would, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus now? Um, I have someone who wanted me. I have someone who is delighted in me. And I have someone, he's so beautiful. He's so delightful. He's so gorgeous and mm. he wants to have relationship with me. Uh, versus mm. in the past, I knew there was men called Isa or Jesus who identified as yeah, a good guy who does make miracles and brings the message of Allah or God. But now I have, I don't know if you think about it like, God who made the universe, like who programmed our body, the way our body works is so amazing. The way universe holds mm -hmm. together is so amazing. And Lord Jesus Christ is so powerful. He holds the universe by the power of his word. And yeah. his voice is so powerful, gives eternal, gives like brings death to alive. That one wants to have relationship with me. That one, one calls me his friend. That one gives his life for me. Like my mind still doesn't get it. Like, yes. You are just nobody. I'm just nobody. But the one who is behind of universe steps in and then asks you to be his. That's mind blowing for me. And as I said, my, my, my mind still doesn't get it. Why and how? Even though like it helps me to know uniqueness of my God, but you still stand up and then ask the question, how can he wants me? Even you don't want yourself when you look at the mirror, but the one who holds the universe with the power of his word wants you. Mm. And so how quickly did you realize that uh, this decision was going to cost you a whole lot? Uh, with just one, one phone call. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. With, with your yeah. family, right? Yeah. Uh, in Turkey, we don't have many Christians. Right now, I think number is 5,000. That's very, very big number. But in those days, you never met Christ- you never meet with Christians. You don't know that much about in when you we look at the history we know a little bit about armenian genocide which we don't identify as mm-hmm. a genocide that's like different point but so you never hear anyone becomes a christian or there are consequences it's like very normal islamic bubble um so once you kind of figure out oh yeah there are problems there are consequences you have to get on with it and when i start dealing with the consequences in those days, I didn't know how delightful and gorgeous our God is. I remember there was an occasion I simply said, oh, if it is going to cause, if it's going to hurt my family's feelings, my mom and my dad's feelings, uh, that I am Christian. I'm quite happy to not be Christian when I was given the option. So that's the place where I end up denying Lord Jesus Christ in my life. But... In somehow, even to that, he was, he's been gracious to me and picked me up and um, never let me go. So, yeah, I'm just thinking of a scripture in Luke 14, isn't it? Where he says, He who Jesus, I mean, he says some very difficult things. He who does not hate his father and his mother will not be able to be my disciple. And yeah, I mean, is that. Hyperbole? Does he does he really mean that? How do you interpret those uh, verses? For me, Lord Jesus Christ is not joking. He means what he says. But as you live through it, um, you see it's very painful. Um, yes, you give up your family, um, or your family hates you. And bottom line is, yes, we do have good church community, uh, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But richer, like there is no one who can take a place of your mom or your father or your brothers and sisters. But bottom line is, he is worthy. He is worthy for that. Yeah, he is worthy. And it's not it's not the investment you are thinking for eternity, but he gave his heart for you. Like his heart beats with your heart. Uh, he's worthy. Um, there were the times in my early stages, yes, I was very much upset, emotional, and regret the choices I made. But I know by full knowledge and full mind and full heart, he is worthy. He is worthy. Mm. Mm. And uh, did you ever think that you would end up, you know, facing the sort of persecution you faced and, uh, you know, potentially being killed just a a short time ago at Speaker's Corner? No, no. I'm a very positive person. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne. He's in control of all. So we can't control those events, but not really because I have full confidence. Right now I'm in Britain. If I was in Turkey, things are different. Or if I was in Muslim countries um, like which I've been certain Muslim countries to do evangelism or training and teaching in those moments like certain occasions I had a gun on my head um, I had a knife mm-hmm. on my neck in those occasions you do kind of oh, yeah, this is probably my last breath but in somehow I kind of was able to walk through those things but in Britain no I never thought someone middle of the day is going to 
try to kill me, not in Britain. So could you just tell us what happened for those that haven't read about you in the papers? Like it's things are going uh, on for the last couple of years, but um, I think it's been nearly four Sundays ago now, around 3.30 in the afternoon, I was having a discussion with a Muslim gentleman and then someone came and tried to kill me with with a knife. I did watch the video and people watched the video. We all asked the question why I am still alive and only I had some stitches. Uh, answer to that from Christian perspective is because it wasn't my time to go home mm-hmm. in somehow Lord Jesus Christ stepped in and had me to stay alive. So that happened mm-hmm. um, at Speaker's Corner, a gentleman tried to kind of put the knife on my tummy as well as try to, seems try to go for my neck. But all I had is cut on my forehead and cut on my hands. So. And then he ran away and the police chased and he was never caught, was he? Yes, he was running away with his two feet versus policeman was on the scene and just like beat the car but no um it's been four weeks and still no one is being arrested and i mean i've watched the video and it's it's uh i mean it, and i've also been there and speaker's corner over the last number of years has become a a place where um a lot of well it's a, it's a muslim platform isn't it to just uh, to, to go for it and there's a few crazies there as well talking about all sorts of stuff but uh, I, I, just, I, I just, my concern is that, and I know this is not your heart, is that uh, we, we, you know, you don't hate Muslims at all. We often say Islam is spelled, I sincerely love all Muslims. I know you love Muslim people, don't you? Uh, Islam by itself is very much dangerous ideology. And Speaker's mm. Corner is a place where you've got radical Muslims who wants to follow mm. the teachings of Allah and Muhammad to the dot. We even have like people who are active supporters of ISIS at Speaker's Corner and apparently last since last week, active supporters of Taliban. So mm-hmm. as an ideology, it is very dangerous to humanity. It is very dangerous to certain group of Muslims as well as very dangerous to Christians and Jews. But Muslims are people who are made in God's image and Lord Jesus Christ loved them enough to give himself for them. And he didn't die for an ideology, but he died for the people. So Speaker's Corner is a great platform for us to have debates and discussions and controversial um, conversations on the religion's points with Muslims. And we do that because Lord doesn't want people to end up in hell. It is not his desire. If it was his desire, he wouldn't give himself at the first place anyway. So there are lots of different ways of engaging with Muslim people, but at Speaker's Corner, it's mainly for debates and discussions. When you watch the videos probably, or you've been there, uh, it's changed very much different now, a little bit, but you won't kind of, you don't think, oh, there is love or anything, but main intention you turn up to speaker's corner is because God loves them and there needs to be individuals mm-hmm. who love them enough to tell them truth truth of oh Islam is false religion Muhammad is false prophet Quran is false book and alternative is the triune God so that's overall whole motivation and when when you were stabbed 
were there some people cheering and other people like as Muslims were, were shocked and horrified that that was done in the name of Islam? What were the mixed reactions? I don't remember that much the day what happened, like after the um, attack. Um, but I am very much aware that um, there are videos up there where Muslims are upset that I haven't been finished. <laughs> uh, versus right. um, I did have emails actually came in where Muslims are apologizing for what happened and that shouldn't happen. Uh, you live in Britain. And even like I have a, a Muslim family who watched the video and then they saw what happened. They just like, we can't be Muslim. This can't be Islam. They give up Islam as a whole family. So you've got all different reactions. It's because every Muslim is different. Every individual is unique and different. So the way they take things on is very much different. Yeah. So sometimes people do things in the name of Christ and we are utterly ashamed of that. You know, that that's part of our family misrepresenting the teachings of Christ. And 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 sometimes, well, half whatever percentage of Muslims would be horrified at how people are doing stuff in Allah's name that they would say is inconsistent with their their beliefs. But actually, um, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That I was I was just looking at an article yesterday at Pew Research uh, in Afghanistan, looking at looking at uh, people's views there is that ninety nine percent. I I struggle to believe this ninety nine percent. Of, of Afghans in Afghanistan favor Sharia law. 85% support stoning for adultery. 79% uh, support execution for apostasy. Uh, I, I, I mean, Afghanistan is, is obviously very far removed, but that is after, you know, two, two decades of, of attempts by America and the Western powers to inculcate a different kind of value system. And it seems that those value systems are absolutely incompatible, don't you think? So while 95% um, or uh, while, let's like think practically, 95% people are favor of Sharia law. So that's including killing the apostates, uh, wife beating to like very different type of marriages. Yet we watch the uh, videos on news or on the social media there are only f like the people are running away from Sharia people are running away from Islam because they look at the Taliban and they are saying oh that's not Islamic and it is that evil or that scary that there are individuals who are simply giving up their children so that their children can have a better future without Islam in the future, yet they are willing to stay. Like it is that evil becomes barrier between families, family members. Mm. But it is it shouldn't be surprising for us because so far, last, last couple of decades, education hasn't been placed in Pakistan the way it's supposed to be. So people never heard and so the alternative for, for example, stoning of adulteries. Therefore, of course, they are going to say, yes, it does work. Those public punishments do work. Why? Because out of fear, people don't do things or out of fear, they stuck in Islam. Uh, Muslim scholars are expressing if there was no death penalty for apostasy, Islam wouldn't be exist in its form because lots of people stay in Islam because they don't want to get killed. So 
it is heartbreaking and shocking how many people want Islam to be practiced. But you ask very basic question, not only like, does it meet with the Western values, but as a Christian, we ask, or does it meet with the principles and laws Lord Jesus Christ brought? Because our focus is, it all needs, like there is a problem with our hearts. Our hearts mm -hmm. are dirty. Our hearts needs to be fixed. And Lord Jesus Christ, with his death and his resurrection, with his blood, he cleansed our hearts. He gave us new heart, which is supposed to be for him. Does Islamic law, does Sharia, can live alongside of Christian values? And very basic answer to that is no. You cannot keep people in an ideology by force. Mm. You know, I really struggle, and I think many people do, and as, we, as we're listening, because, you know, I've got Muslim friends and they are clearly um, great people, fun, got, in fact, I think as Christians, we align ourselves more with uh, many of uh, shared sort of monotheistic values than we do with secular values in terms of, you know, valuing the family and uh, against the sexualization of society, all those things. So you've got almost a schizophrenic representation of Islam. You've got, you know, people who are moderate who have sort of integrated somewhat into the West whilst keeping their cultural identity and their faith. And then you've got a substantial number. I mean, again, this is a horrifying statistic to me that in, this is from 2016, so not that long ago, policy research showed that 49% of Muslims in London favored aspects of Sharia law and nationally 43% favored the introduction of Sharia law. Again, I, I struggle to believe that because that is not my experience of Muslims in England, which I have to say is, is limited. But, you know, I, I would want people to not be afraid of Muslims. I would want people to see them as just fellow humans who want the best for their kids. They, they, they want to succeed in life. And, and the fear, even in an interview like this, is that, which I know is not your heart at all, by the way, is that people would be, be scared of, of Muslims and see them as the enemy. That's not what we're saying at all, is it? Um, I think a couple of points to make. First of all, Sharia is law of God for Islam, for Muslim people. Mm -hmm. And as a Christian, we shouldn't have any problem for someone to want the law of God to be practiced. As a mm -hmm. Christian, we want the mm -hmm. same thing. We don't want people cherry pick the scripture. We want people to read the scripture and faithfully obey what scripture is teaching. So therefore, it is good that Muslim people wants to faithfully follow law of God. Mm -hmm. But the problem is what kind of law of God is this and also which God is this? So there is a there is a problem. We do have, yes, many common common things with Muslims, but our not common things, I forgot the word for that, the things we disagree, they are mm -hmm. much more important than the common things we have. We want better society, but solution for better society is Lord Jesus Christ. We want good marriages, but solution for good marriages is only biblical marriage, not like having one husband, four wives, or an extra other under the uh, label of different uh, marriages. So I think asking and asking for law of God to be practiced and people to live under it, it's a good thing. But the question is, how good is Sharia 
or can Sharia be identified as the law of God since we believe in different gods? Um, that's the first thing. And the sad thing is actually in UK, we don't even know how many Sharia courts are there. So a couple of years mm -hmm. ago, when there was a uh, kind of research is trying to be made regarding the how many Sharia courts here, sadly, we don't even know. There is minimum of over 83, but the government doesn't even know, like, where are they? So in, in the country, certain Sharia laws, mainly family laws, are being practiced in UK. Mm -hmm. Regarding Muslim people, they are lovely. You mm -hmm. meet with them on the street, very, very big possibility you will end up in their home for dinner that evening. Yeah. I, I go mm -hmm. to mosques and I meet uh, lots of those people already invited me to their home. I've been into their home. When you meet with them for a cup, cup of tea and, or for lunch, they are so generous. They are so kind. They want to like pay the bill. Um, they want to spend time with you. But ideology of Islam is bad. So when mm. Muslims don't know that much about Islam, when uh, they don't follow Islam in its fullness, uh, that makes them good people. Not good people, like but like mm. people who you want to share life with. But when you look at the ideology of Islam, that is dangerous because when they know more about Islam, they, they know once they start following or the person who they invited for a cup of tea or for lunch, now according to their scripture identified as the worst of creatures or um, should be killed because she's uh, or he's apostate, all those things like suddenly mm. start coming into their mind because now they need to make a choice between following Islam or just ignoring the things they never knew before. Mm. I remember a couple of years ago, I had a heart attack <laughs> on the street and it was a Muslim who called the ambulance and took me to hospital. And yeah. they stayed, they stayed with me over there. It was, it was mm. a Muslim. Couple of years ago, I attacked um, on the street. It was a Muslim man who, st who stepped mm. into stop the attacker who was also Muslim. So mm -hmm. um, Muslim people are lovely, and especially those ones who do not uh, know that much about Islam and do not follow Islam. Ideology of Islam is dangerous. Uh, it, it is the same thing um, in Christian uh, circle. We do have brothers and sisters who don't know scripture well, and they live their life in a way of worldly then the world mm. will look at them and then say, oh no, that person is Christian where he or she is involved different way of life. And that will be like under the label of Christianity. I don't know, LGBT yeah. community, yeah. Um, nightclubs, all those kind of things, broken marriages. Mm -hmm. And that, that's how the world will judge. But again, we ask the question, is that the teachings of Christ? Same for Muslims. So the ones who are very lovely, very nice, invite you for a cup of tea, invite, even invite you to the their wedding of their children. How much do mm. they follow the teaching of Islam? And answer is very big majority would be, actually they don't know the teachings of Islam well enough to follow. Therefore, they are nice and good. Because if they know the teachings of Islam, they can simply say, that is not acceptable. That, that is not applicable to us in 2021. Can I ask you, do you think uh, that 
most Muslims in Britain genuinely don't know um, Muhammad's life, what, what he did. Because when you compare Jesus and Muhammad, uh, which is a good comparison to make, I mean, Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He chose the way of the cross. And Muhammad, at a key point, he, he, he definitely did not choose the way of the cross. He chose the way of conquest and violence. Uh, so do you, do you think, you talk about these lovely Muslims that the, who are very hospitable, and that's my experience. I've been in about a dozen different Muslim countries. Unbelievable hospi- hospitality that shames us in the West. Uh, really touching. But would these people not be aware of the history of how Islam spread? And, and, which was also consistent with the teachings of its founder? Um, I don't want to break your heart, but actually being good a hospital, hospitality, um, inviting people to your home, feeding them, looking after them, enjoying their company is not Islamic because Muhammad says like, eat at home when you go to his house, don't even kind of hang around, do your business and live. So that's not actually Islamic, that's cultural. And in Muslim majority countries, people don't know about Islam. I had a, a philosopher, he is teaching at university in Asia, a Muslim. He heard, like he's a philosopher, you know, like they are the ones like, they mm-hmm. have to spend ages to define one word. <laughs> he mm-hmm. learned from YouTube, from my videos, that Muhammad married a six years old child. Until that right. age, He's like in his early 40s or something. He never needed to question. So even in Muslim, he lives like very Muslim majority country. And even like Sharia has been practiced part of his country. He never felt Mm. the need of questioning. So even Muslims in Muslim majority country don't know the basics of life of Muhammad. In Britain, I met an imam. He didn't know that Muhammad married Aisha when Aisha was six years old. And Hmm. this is Imam. So they are the ones who lead the prayer and lead the congregation. They don't know why, because they didn't, they never needed to think critically in their circle. Everyone believes and thinks the same thing. I meet with Imams who don't know that there are different Arabic Qurans. When you ask people question on Muhammad's marriages, answer is, oh, those women were widow, they give themselves to Muhammad and Muhammad felt the need of looking after them in the, for the better society. And then when you ask the question, okay, why were they, they were widow at the first place? They never thought actually Muhammad is the one who made them widow, <laughs> he killed their husband. Or like, like the stories they have been told is false, they don't know. Reason is, uh, most of people never needed to think about it. They never need to critically think and question Islam because Islam doesn't allow doubt and questions. Surah 5 verse 101. Uh, versus mm-hmm. you do have, uh, so in Britain and even in Muslim majority countries, we do have something called Dawah. So Muslims are inviting people to Islam. You, you will get to see lots of book tables on the streets where people are telling you, oh, become a Muslim. And then you hear that people are becoming a Muslim. Why? Because they see, oh yeah, Islam looks kind of 
victim in, in social media. Therefore, let me go alongside of it and support. And lots of people who become a Muslim, they never even thought about what actually Islam teaches. Um, but anyway, those individuals who are doing like evangelism thing, um, identified as inviting people to Islam, they don't, most of them don't know what Islam teaches, but they know what does Christians believe or what does Christianity teach so-called. So therefore, mm -hmm. even the inviting people to Islam is all about critiquing or attacking other people's belief. So once you become convinced that, oh, your belief doesn't make sense that much, or there are questions, then they say, oh, it doesn't make sense, why don't you become a Muslim? And people do become a Muslim. So um, short answer to your question, there are seriously people who really don't know Islam, and they're in the teaching and preaching role. role. Currently, the area I live is very Muslim area. And one of the Imam I met, he's been here for 20 years. I am the first Christian he met. Hmm. He lives in Britain. I am the first Sorry. Christian he met in 20 years. And on the wow. other hand, yes, you do have Muslims who know how to critique other people's faith, but they don't know they don't know much about their faith. Of course, you do have these active radical Muslims who know what Islam teaches and they love the teachings of Islam they want to follow. So you do have different groups, but I would say very big majority of Muslims in Britain, even the, the ones who want Sharia, they don't know what Islam teaches actually. Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this, these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or, or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast Do you find that you get a lot of negative um, criticism from the Christian community, which is now your community? Is that hurtful? Uh, I think that's like, it does happen. I'm not very much loved by Christians as well as by Muslims because of my approach. But I do acknowledge that in the body of Christ, we are all different and we are all unique because our God is different and unique. And he gives um, people different skills and gifts, um, you, your consciousness needs to be clear what Lord called you to do, and you need to be faithful to that calling. Lots of critics or uh, feedbacks I do get is mainly from people actually who haven't, uh, who are not involved with evangelism, especially with radical Muslims. Mm -hmm. So it's always easy to kind of critique approach that you don't like. Um, but I would say uh, my approach is biblical and. Mm -hmm. I do pray actually daily that 
Lord confronts me and disciplines me and speaks to me clearly when I cross the line or before I cross the line so that I be I will be faithful to the scripture and faithful to him. That's one of my prayer. But I do acknowledge that in the body of Christ, we do have different gifts and we have to be using our gifts. I have seen lots of people left Islam. I have seen lots of people. Uh, are becoming lover or follower of Lord Jesus Christ. Even I do have like individuals who become a Christian. Um, they've been discipled and they went to Europe to work as a missionary, uh, to preach our glorious gospel to Muslims, refugees. Can I ask how many you would guesstimate uh, people that you've led to Christ? Um, I wouldn't say I led the people to Christ. It is work of Lord Jesus Christ. He does his work. But in UK, I've got um, approximately 1,000 people who left Islam and being discipled in the churches. And also last couple of years, because what we do at Speakers Corner is goes up on YouTube, we set up kind of online church for our brothers and sisters or new believers mainly, uh, who live in mm -hmm. like Bangladesh, Pakistan, Indonesia, Malay, Muslim countries, where we couldn't pluck them into the Christian community. They live six, seven hours far, or there is no missionary or Christian community. So we set up online churches with them, up over 300 people, where week after week we do Bible study with them and go through discipleship structure. So I think what I am doing wasn't biblical and it wasn't honoring Lord Jesus Christ. I wouldn't see anyone turn to him. I take that as a confirmation yeah. of Lord is even using me, even me, uh, I am being used by him. So that's pleasure. And that, I guess, is why you set up DCCI Ministries. So in closing, do you want to just share briefly on that? DCCI ministry stands for Defend Christ Critic Islam. It is not about defending Christianity or anything. It's all about Lord Jesus Christ and critiquing ideology of Islam. It's not about like we don't kind of critic Muslims. We simply deal with the ideology, uh, challenge the ideology. Soon after ideology is being challenged and questioned, we give them the alternative of Lord Jesus Christ because you are evangelist, you know better than me. It is very easy to help someone to have doubt in their faith. And it is very easy to help Muslim. It takes only two minutes, literally. Help Muslim to have doubt in, in Islam and give up Islam in his mind. That's very, very easy. But I am, my intention is not helping, to, helping people to become ex-Muslim. My intention is helping people to become Muslim background believers or believers in Christ. So that's mm -hmm. what DCCI ministry does. Uh, our public ministry is at Speakers Corner where we engage mainly with uh, Islamic Dawatim and Muslim missionaries. Also, we are involved very much on street uh, evangelism, book tables, um, Bible studies in and out of mosques, as well as discipleship. Great. Well, listen, I will put that, uh, put the information in the blurb for people to follow up with you. Um, you know, we've led very different lives and very different contexts. In Burundi, it wasn't um, persecution, but it was dangerous. And I fully expected to die for my faith and was ready to in terms of bringing the love of Christ and the message of salvation in him and freedom and all the good things that becoming a follower of Jesus involves. Now, 
I was ready to die. It sounds like you're you're ready to die. Uh, do do you do you think it will come to that? Uh, I love living. I love living, but I love my Lord more than this earthly life, more than the breath I give out and take in. And I'm convinced that he's worthy. Uh, and if he wants to take me home, I'm ready to go home. It will be good, like if I got like advance notice, <laughs> so that I can tidy up my flood, all those kind of things. But I am, I am hmm. ready to go home. Also, I do acknowledge in its fullness, our God is trying. God, He doesn't need us. Um, he can do much better work without us. Yet we are privileged. Uh, we are given privilege to be used by Him. So in that context, um, if He wants to take me out or take me away. I have to be uh, faithful to that. But yes, uh, Lord Jesus Christ is worthy for us to lay our life down for him because he already laid his life down for us so that we can have life in its fullness. I hope it doesn't come to the point that I get killed. But if that happens, I know where I am going to go and my life still goes on in the bosom of the Father. Great. Well, Hatun Tash, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been stirring. It's been challenging to our thinking. I know a lot of people will be listening and and it will really be sort of, uh, yeah, stirring up different thoughts within them. And uh, I simply want to wish you all God's blessing, his protection, his wisdom and how you go about things. And I'm very grateful for your time. So listen, everybody, uh, you can be in touch with Hatun. Uh, we'll put the details in the blurb and I'll be back with another fantastic guest next week. If you've liked the podcast and you want to give us a great review, that'll be very helpful on any platform. If you want to be in touch with me, that's simongilbo.com. Thanks. Thanks, Hatton. God bless you. Toodaloo. Thank you Bye, very guys. much.